Hey folks, in this episode, we're gonna be talking about Panasonic's new BS camera. This is Twitter. Hey, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Photo. Today, I got something special for you. My longtime friend, who just celebrated a birthday, by the way, uh, Photo wow. Joseph. <laughs> Photo Joseph is online here. Uh, he is one of the few people that got their hands on a new camera from Panasonic. It is the BS1H box camera. We're gonna be talking about why that camera is important, who it's for, who it isn't for, and what Joseph is looking forward to doing with that camera. Photo Joseph, man, how you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm doing well, my friend. It's good to see you again. It's been far too long. In fact, I think the last time I came on here, was for the BGH-1. So I must was be the it? only guy you know who knows anything about the box cameras. <laughs> you and me, right? I'm the other ones. <laughs> and I know more after these conversations that we have about the box camera. Go. Yeah, so so speaking of that, the, the camera that I'm using right now is the, the original BG camera, which I love, it's amazing. I, I've got this thing on top of my, my uh, above my monitor. I've got the XLR adapter attached to it. I've got this mic running into it, you know, and it's, all is right with the world. It's bulletproof. Sounds like my setup. Did you break into my studio? I know a guy. Pictures? I'm just saying. It sounds like, uh, <laughs> like what I got going on here. Hey, it's the Occam's razor of professional setups, right? It just it ah, just works. Okay, I'll, I'll take it. It's it's bulletproof. It works every single time. So, and I'm happy with it. And this is, you know, over the years, it's been for me. It's been an iterative process of webcams and and GH4s and GH5s and you know, G7, all manner of G seven was in there. Yeah, yeah. Going in, yeah. going into an ATEM, going into here, all this stuff, and now it's just this. So, first of all, for the folks that may not know what a Panasonic box camera is, or just what a box camera is, can you? Can, let's start there and do some fundamentals. Yeah, sure. So, think of any normal mirrorless or mirrored camera. It's got. Uh, if it's a mirrored camera, it's got a pentaprism on it. If it's a mirrorless camera, it's got a viewfinder that kind of looks like a pentaprism. There's probably an LCD on the back, uh, maybe an LCD on top. There's a grip for you to hold on to the camera. There's a battery that gets inserted into the camera. Now, take all of that away, and what's left is the box camera. A box camera is essentially the shape of a box, as the name would infer. Um, but the idea is that it has the sensor, memory cards to record into, a bunch of buttons to control it, and that's about it. You don't have a built-in battery slot. A battery gets attached externally, which means that you can put any size battery you want on it. So you're not limited to just the whatever fits into the handle type of battery. There's no viewfinder on it. So you have to add a display to it. Uh, there's no handle grip on it. So if you want to have a handle grip on it, you add that onto it. And at this point, if you're not familiar with the idea, you're probably thinking, who in the world would want to use a camera like that? Exactly what I'm thinking. <laughs> Why? You know, hey, by Why the way, you, you can you can have this amazing thing that you're used to, but we're gonna take off all the things that you're used to and just give we're gonna you... take away everything you love about your camera, except for the image quality. Now, so the idea is that a camera like this is much smaller, much lighter weight, and can therefore be rigged up. First of all, it can be rigged on things like a gimbal. It can be rigged onto a drone. So if you've got, obviously not your little mini Mavic kind of drones, but big proper drones that are designed for carrying big cameras, this type of a camera is much lighter weight and can be attached to that drone. If you're using a gimbal, it's a much lighter weight camera to have onto the gimbal and you can then have your monitor separately, your battery. Uh, you could actually even have the battery separately because you could just run power up to it over cable. 
So you have this completely modular camera, and that's really what it comes down to is it's modular. Instead of having everything already built in, everything that you might need is separate so you can add only what you do need. And if you look at any movie set, you look at any Hollywood set, you see the cameras that people are using on set and they're huge. They got these big lenses and all this rigging and all this stuff. Well, at the heart of that is a relatively small camera. Whether you're shooting on a RED or shooting at pretty much anything, the camera that's at the meat of that is a box type camera that is relatively small. And so that's what this the B cameras are, the BGH1 uh, and now the BS1H. The BGH1 being a micro four thirds box camera and the BS1H being a full frame box camera. And so you get this capability of the much larger camera in a smaller space and you just add whatever you need to it. So that's that, that's a good segue into the sensor size argument. So the one that I'm on is the is the the previous one, right? So the micro four thirds sure. sensor, which is great. You know, well, it was- I don't call it previous, it's the current micro four thirds one. Correct. It's not a right. previous generation, right? It is still current, but it's micro four. It's the micro four, four thirds, and the the recently released version is the full frame in the S line. So it kind of plays plays in the S series. Okay. So that said, looking at this again, you know, I am my audience, right? So my audience is looking at this and they're like, okay, so micro four thirds. I know that box camera, the one I have here. Uh, is Netflix certified? It does all kinds of things that I that you would use probably. That but I, as kind of a consumer level content creator, am not going to use. Though it's nice to know that I could shoot a Netflix feature film with this with my webcam if I should so get the wild hair to do so. So that said, who are these cameras for? So who you know? Yeah, obviously people that are doing high-end productions and all that. But narrowing it down to the micro four thirds versus the full frame argument, why would a person want to choose one line, the G line over the S line? Sure. At that point, it comes down to quality of the image, right? The larger sensor is going to give you a larger, better quality image. That's just that's just science, right? It's just the way yep. that it is. You're getting that um, that larger area to capture the photons. You're Even if you're outputting the same resolution for 4K output, it's just a larger space. And that larger space means that you have shallower depth of field. It means that you potentially have better low light gathering capability. It means that you have, because it's the L mount, it means that you have the ability to adapt just about any lens that you can come up with to it, mm -hmm. which is really, really cool. You know, cinema lenses are designed for either a full frame size or a super 35 say, uh, super 35 frame size sensor, whereas the G, the BGH-1 with a micro four third sensor, if you're using those bigger lenses on it, while you can, you're gonna be cropping into it. You're not using the full, uh, the full size of the glass, everything the glass has to offer. So it's just giving you more versatility and essentially at a higher quality. And also you get 6K, right? The, the S1H and the BS1H are 6K capable cameras. So you can do Oh, at 5.9K internally, or is this 6K internally, sorry, and 5.9K out over um, over HDMI to ProRes RAW and to B-RAW as well. So you have uh, you have more options with higher resolution there as well. Okay, so and that was that was another good segue. See, you and I are in sync. That's why we're brothers here, right? The uh, <laughs> the the main deltas between these two cameras, like so, and to put a finer point on it, again, me because it's all about me, right? So again, oh, me. Yeah with this with my with my bg 
you know, box camera mm. that I love. It's been great. It's been literally a tank. I love it, um, sure. which I, which is what I like about my tech. I want to just set it up and have it work every time and not be begging me for updates or I got to stand on one foot and whistle Dixie in order to get to work. I just want it to work when I press a button and this camera does that. So for that, you know, for the people that are in a relative state of bliss with their current BG box camera from Panasonic, in comes this shiny new thing. Should I be lusting after it? Should I want it? Should I be budgeting for it? Or should I just stay where I am? What do you think? I mean, for you, honestly, for what you're doing, it's stay where you are. There's no, you know, unless you want just a, a bit shallower depth of field on the shot that you're looking at me at right now, <laughs> right? you know, um, and even let's be honest, you could put a much shallower depth of field lens on which than what you've got right now. I uh, could. Yeah, you certainly could. So no, for if you're using the camera primarily as a webcam, then absolutely not. There's really no reason at all to, to upgrade to this camera. Uh, this is more for that cinema type production. And again, the choice making that distinction between the micro four thirds or the full frame is just going to depend on your needs. You know, if you are shooting a feature film, then you probably want to go with that full frame camera. If you're using it for, um, uh, I don't know, anywhere where space is a consideration, then if you need to get even smaller, still like small as possible, even though the BGH1 is the same size as the BS1H, the lenses are smaller on the Micro Four Thirds. So any given focal length that you might need, you'll have a smaller physical lens on the Micro Four Thirds than you will on the full frame camera. So sometimes that the physical size really does make a difference. You know, a couple of inches there, a little bit of, you know, 100 grams, 200 grams, half a kilo, whatever is going to make a difference in, in where you can put it. And so those are things to consider as well. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So that, that, that's interesting to know. I was wondering if that new body, the full frame body, was going to be larger than the Micro Four Thirds body. I would the assumption yeah. I, that I would come to, which I think is logical, would be that yeah, it's got to be bigger because of heat dissipation and all that stuff. But no, it's the same same form factor. It's yeah. Well, that's the pretty remarkable thing. It actually is only. Hold on, I'm pulling up. Um, so first of all, it's only zero point eight millimeters longer, deeper. So it's the same width, same height, and 0.8 millimeters deeper. So it is essentially the exact same size, even to the point where I have a cage from a small rig for the BGH1, and the BS1H fits in that cage perfectly. Now, I have been told that there is another cage on the market from another company where they had some things that they put on the front of the cage, um, which unfortunately mean that the BS1H will not fit in it. So, you know, if you already have a cage for the BGH1, it may or may not fit, but the small rig one does. Weight-wise, uh, it's now I'm looking at my specs here. The BGH1 is 545 grams, while the BS1H is 585 grams. So it's only 40 grams heavier. So 0.1 yeah. millimeters deeper and 40 grams heavier. It's virtually identical. It is mm -hmm. really remarkable how how uh, similar these two cameras are when you uh, just the size and weight. Otherwise, other than that, physically, the only difference is the front of the BS1H has four programmable buttons instead of three and they're in a different position and that's mainly because of the lens mount and the lens release and where that goes so, uh, um, oh and there's a lock there is a lock switch on the bs1h that doesn't exist on the bgh1 that allows you to lock all those four front buttons uh, other than that they're they're appearing appearance is identical oh okay so interesting so you can lock you get your your custom buttons all configured and set and yeah. you know when you're when you're out in the field after doing all the work to get everything set you can just hit it oh let me bring you up Right, let's go ahead and bring that up. So this is the BS1H, and you can see that there's four programmable buttons here. On the right side, that's the power button, and then that's the lens release, whereas the 
Micro Four Thirds version, the Lynch release is over here because that's where it is for Micro Four Thirds. L mount, mm -hmm. it's over here. So they put the four buttons, now four buttons, where it used to be three on this side, which is nice because it means you can access all of them with one hand from this side if you're hand holding. Um, but then if you do want to lock it, this button there now will lock these buttons so they don't do anything. And just oh, like nice. with the other camera, like the G9 that has a physical lock on it, you can program what is or isn't locked by that lock, which is pretty nice. I think it'll, you, know, you can lock the menu button on the top and some mm -hmm. other things as well. So aside from the, so the, the physical attributes of the camera, like you said, identical, except for the things you just highlighted. What about the internals of the camera? What are, what are we looking at differently in turn? You mentioned this one can shoot 6K and uh, what else? Right. Yeah, what so else internally, they're completely different, right? So internally, this BS1H is an S1H. It is the much larger S1H camera somehow, I don't know how, somehow crammed into this much smaller physical case, which is just incredible, but it is an S1H. There isn't a feature in the S1H other than stabilization on the sensor that is not in the BS1H. And that's an important point too. The Neither the BS1H or the BGH1 have stabilization on the sensor. And that's not an oversight. It's not um, just oh to take out to remove, uh, uh, to free up space. It is like the GH5S, it is designed that way because some ca camera like this is really designed to be put onto a rig, designed to be put onto a gimbal, onto a drone, whatever. And you don't want the stabilizer in the camera that is going to either counteract with the stabilizer on the other device. Or I did a video on this a couple of years ago. I mounted a GH5 and a GH5S to my car and went driving around the block and you see weird movements in the uh, with the stabilized sensor that you don't get with the non-stabilized and that's just again it's by design you sometimes you don't want the stabilized sensor on there yeah yeah and that's the that's it what else what else inside so, okay so let's go through here i've got a chart here why don't we do this um i've got a big chart here that we can bring up and this is comparing the s1h to the bs1h and then also the bgh1 so kind of the Excellent. three side by side so obviously here on the right the BS1H and the BGH1, the two box cameras, and then the S1H. So on this first page, you'll see how identical it is to the S1H. So full frame sensors, 24.2 megapixel. All three cameras have dual native ISO. Here's that one difference. The S1H has the stabilization, the body IS. That's body in body stabilization. That's there. Um, the S1H is a full V-log camera, while the BGH1 is V-log L. The S1Hs have the 14 stops, 14 plus stops dynamic range. BGH1 is 13 stops. So some slight differences there. Mm -hmm. Then when you get into recording, 420, 10-bit, 6K, and all the 6K and 5.4 and 5.9K, this is only on the S of the BS1H or the S1H. So 6K, that's a 5952 by 3968 pixel image. That's full frame sensor, and that's a 3-2 aspect ratio. So that's designed for open gate shooting, where you're shooting more than you need to so have a lot of room to reframe. Um, it also means you can put an anamorphic lens on there and then stretch that out and get, uh, well, if you have a two to one anamorphic, you're gonna have a 12K wide image, which is kind of crazy. Wow. Um, but these are the options. That's a 24P, 5.4K will give you 29.97. And this, again, this is identical to the S1H, right? There's nothing new in here. This is exactly the same on the S1H versus the BS1H. So mm -hmm. same specs in there. Uh, then you get down to raw in your raw output and you have your Atomos Ninja 5 or 5 Plus. It's not listed in here, but the 5 or the 5 Plus and then uh, those will be able to let you capture ProRes RAW, and then the Blackmagic Video Assist will allow you to capture B-RAW, and that will go up to 5.9K. So that's 
that's huge, <laughs> literally. Yeah. It's a really yeah. big image. Yeah. And shooting in a, let's just call it a 6K, 5.9K, 6K raw image is phenomenal. You know, if you're doing an output in uh, to, to Ultra HD or to true 4K, 4096 wide, you, have, you still have a huge amount of room to crop into and to reframe. And, and like I said, if you're shooting anamorphic, then you can get this extremely wide, extremely large image that you can either use the whole thing or reframe as needed. It just yeah. really gives you some pretty, pretty amazing options. Wow, it's so crazy. That's, yeah. yeah, yeah. Are you? Are you? Oh no, go ahead. No, 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 please. No, I was going to say. So when I when I see those numbers, the thing that comes to mind is those are some massive files that that thing is going to generate. Sure. Are we talking uh, ProRes that this is this is recording in or what what what's the actual file that's going to be on the disk? So internally it's not shooting to ProRes. Internally it's your um uh when your .mov files your H either H264 is H264 I guess. I guess it's H264 or you can do H265 um HEVC files depending on what you're shooting. I think when you're doing 6K pretty sure in 6K it's always HEVC. So that's the H265. Okay. Um, if you want to go ProRes, then that requires the external recorder. And so that's where your Atomos comes in. And you can either record to ProRes or ProRes RAW if you set the camera to do RAW output. Just depends, again, on your on your needs and desires. Yeah. But yeah, you, you don't do ProRes internally. Uh, none of the Lumix cameras can do ProRes internally. That's all external. And why is that? Remember, too, when you're doing ProRes externally, you're getting you're getting a higher quality. So let me go back to that slide real quick. Let me pull up the right one and put it up on screen. So um, if you look at the bit depth, so when you're shooting 6K in here, it's 420 10-bit. And I, this doesn't list everything, but there are, we'll hear 422 10-bit. Here, let's actually look at that. 422 mm -hmm. 10-bit, that's your highest quality internal, and you can shoot up to cinema 4K, so 4096 wide at 2997. If you want to shoot 6K, you're dropping to 420 10-bit. So it's slightly lower quality there. However, if you do ex if you do external recording, then you get the full 422 10-bit external, and you're going to get that even in RAW. So by going external, you do get a higher quality image. You get that full 422 instead of 420. Um, and that, that's going to make a difference depending on what you're doing. Make a difference in keying, make a difference in, in some grading. It's, uh, it just depends on what you're doing with the shot, whether it really matters or not. As long yeah. as you're 10-bit, that's the most important. And that's, sure. what, that's what I was going to ask, like these numbers, clearly at, at, at your average YouTuber content creator level, probably, you know, especially when it's when the, the final product is destined to go on YouTube, it's pro those numbers are probably way overkill, I'm thinking. So who who are Not they necessarily? For? I mean, even if you think of something like a simple gradient background, if your mm -hmm. YouTube setup has a, a blue to green or a black to white or whatever, just simple gradient on the background, if you're shooting 8 bit, that's going to ban. And so if you want to have a clean gradient background, you need to be in 10 bit. And if you want to, if you're shooting log, if you're shooting log in 8 bit, then it's a complete waste. You really, if you're shooting log, you really need to be shooting in 10 bit. Um, and that gives you that additional flexibility for your color grade, but then also for things like banding. And you can upload to YouTube in 10 bit. And especially, you can actually do it as H.264, although I haven't done any testing to see how well that works out. But HEVC is, natively a 10-bit format and so you can even do hdr so you can do hdr 10-bit with an hevc file upload to youtube and the vast majority of my youtube videos over the last year are actually in hdr and they're uploaded as 10-bit and those look glorious you put those up on a big tv you don't see any banding they look fantastic yeah the yeah. bs1h video is not hdr that one was kind of 
rushed and I decided to forego HDR because that adds time to my workflow. So I just did that one as standard um, SDR. But uh, so what, but yeah, what do you HDR when, is you, when you're you know all things being equal, if if you assuming you have a camera that can shoot in 10 bit, why would you ever make the decision to shoot in 8 bit? Just file size considerations? Like why? why yeah, would you go file lower? size performance of your computer. If you're mm -hmm. shooting. If you're shooting in a delivery format, essentially, um, you know, you're shooting in like vivid format or portrait format or landscape or whatever, then for the most part, yes, you still will get more banding in 8-bit than you do in 10-bit. But if you're not color grading it, if you're just shooting straight at a camera, then, you know, the 8-bit is probably fine. Uh, unless you're doing a scene where you can really see the difference, then 8-bit's probably fine. And a lot of YouTubers shoot that way. And there's obviously, there's nothing wrong with that, right? You get a great looking image straight out of the camera, no grading, put it on the timeline, do your editing and off you go. As opposed to when you're shooting log, you have to grade it, or you're working mm -hmm. with LUTs, or you balancing, like there's, you know, there's more to it. So it just depends on what you're, what you want to do, honestly. Yeah. But a well, lot of YouTubers, very successful YouTubers are just doing in-camera 8-bit because that pristine little extra bit of quality is not what they care about. It's not what their channel is about. For me, right. uh, it's more important for me to have that ultimate quality, even if, of the image itself. But that's part of my brand, if you will. And mm -hmm. it, sh it allows me to show what I'm capable of to potential clients. So it's kind of a portfolio piece. So I always want to make it as best as I possibly can. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's a remnant from your Apple days as well. So you're just, you're yeah, it's got to be good, right? And, and why not? I yeah. mean, you look at, it's kind of like the, it's the mindset that you have is kind of like the raw versus JPEG mindset. It's like, if I can, if I can is, have all the data my sensor can offer, why wouldn't I take it so that I have more flexibility later? Why, why shoot yeah. in an inferior format, right? And I use that, that raw versus JPEG comparison a lot, even though it's not technically accurate in the mind of someone especially who is coming to video from still photography it makes a lot of sense if you think of shooting log kind of like shooting raw stills it's not raw but it's kind of like shooting raw stills compared to shooting non-log with a embedded profile is like shooting jpeg if you shoot jpeg you get a great looking image out of camera but there's only so much you can do with it before you really break the image whereas mm -hmm. if you shoot raw on your still camera you can do a lot with the image to make it look the way you want same thing shooting log you can do a lot with the image to make it look the way you want if you shoot in you know, the vivid profile, there's not a whole lot you can do before you're gonna break that image up. Yeah, yeah, so much to learn, so much to learn. Um, last question. Let's go, there's another slide, well, yeah. no last question, there's another uh, slide, the one that we talk more about the physical attributes of the, yeah. uh, the B cameras, the box cameras versus the standard one. Because this is where you see some of those other major differences. So whereas on the previous page, we were looking at, um, you saw there's a lot of things where the BS1H and the S1H were the same, and then the BGH one was this the kind of outlier. Now, mm -hmm. as we flip the other way, now we see everything that's the same between the two box cameras. So things like Genlock. So Genlock, not something that most people need, but if you need it, you need it. Genlock is uh, is the ability to if you have time code in, if you have time, if your time code syncing, all of your cameras have the same time code. You shoot something, they all have the same time code, but there's nothing that forces the frame to start recording at the same time. So if this is one frame of video from one camera and one frame from another, they might start slightly out of sync from each other. It's just, you know, you hit start on the camera and it starts when it starts. Mm -hmm. Whereas Genlock forces those frames on all cameras to start at the identical time. And if you're doing things like 3D production or 360 VR, then Genlock becomes really, really important. And a camera like this is something you would see in a 360 rig where you get a series of cameras in an array, 
pointing outwards. They all have to start and stop at precisely the same time to the millisecond and keep each frame starting at the same time. And so that's where something like this camera comes into play. And if you think about a rig with, you know, what, half a dozen cameras in a, um, in a ring all pointing out, well, the smaller they are, the better that is for that. You, mm -hmm. The box camera is perfect for that sort of thing. So that's one feature that they have. Um, time code in and out, dedicated time code in and out on both on the box cameras. You do have time code in on the S1H, but it's via an, an adapter cable. These have dedicated time code inputs. Um, some other highlights, SDI, right? These cameras have SDI out as well, which is massive. You've got HDMI on every other Lumix camera made. With these cameras, you have SDI output, and it is outputting HDMI and SDI simultaneously. I'll point that out because sometimes people ask about that. Um, it does output both simultaneously, and you can even choose to have, let's say, uh, a, if you're shooting log, you could have a LUT embedded on the log footage going out over SDI, but have just the flat log going out over HDMI. So you're recording, say, to an Atomos recorder over HDMI with log, but then on an SDI monitor, you're actually using that to view the footage to monitor it, and you can see that in um, uh, with its LUTed look on it instead of viewing it in log. So differences there, but having that SDI is, is a super, super useful thing to have. Um, and then this is one of the biggies, the Ethernet connection. So the BS1H and the VGH1 both have an Ethernet connection, which provides a lot of different things. First of all, you can power the camera over Ethernet with the PoE Plus switch. So I'm using, and I'm doing a video on this pretty soon here. Subscribe to the channel so you see when this video comes out. But I'm doing a video on the five BGH1s that I have in my studio and how they're configured. And I am powering them all over Ethernet, which means there's no separate power cable runs. It's one long Ethernet cable that runs into the camera that delivers power. But it also means that I can control the camera across the network. Mm -hmm. So you open up the Lumix Tether for multicam app, and you can control up to 12 cameras simultaneously going through and making changes to the settings of each camera, changing focus, setting white balance, doing all of that from a computer instead of having to run around to each camera to make changes. Um, and that's that's just like a phenomenal, crazy, awesome thing to be able to do. I always tell people, once you have Ethernet on a camera, you're going to wish that all of your cameras had Ethernet. <laughs> it it's sounds just amazing. It's a game changer. It's just it's so incredible what you can do with that. Um, and then the these cameras also do RTP and RTSP streaming, which is, that's not streaming to YouTube, Facebook, whatever. That is, it's an internal, like a LAN, you know, over your local network stream. It allows you to do even a full 4K stream, extremely high quality, high bit rate to anywhere else on your local network. So think of it like a corporate environment. You are in a huge office, you're in Cisco, you're in Apple, and you want to do a CEO talking to the employees. The camera can be in their office RTSB streaming to a switcher that could be completely on the other side on, on another building, um, even anywhere that that local network is connected to. And they could pull in that signal kind of like a really long Ethernet, uh, like a really long HDMI or really long SDI cable. So that's uh, another feature that these cameras have. So there's wow. one of those kind of things. It's, so, there's a lot. There's a lot of different options. There's here. a ton there. Yeah. And why? So, you know, going back to the Ethernet, why wouldn't I just want to use standardize on Ethernet? And, and just use the, you know, the, the Ethernet control of the cameras for everything. And one thing that pops up is, you know, you and I both use these ATEM devices from time to time for camera switchers. So that is, is there any compatibility there or, or is, does, does the Ethernet connectivity and the Panasonic app kind of remove the ability to use ATEM switchers? Well, it's not that it removes the ability. It's you would still, if you're switch feeding into an ATEM, you're still going to do an HDMI or an SDI feed into the ATEM. Yeah. 
Um, yep. And by the way, the SDI feed is 1080p only. So if you're if you're going to do SDI, if you want to do SDI in 4K, you actually have to take the HDMI and convert it to SDI. Just a little side note. But anyway, oh, okay. um, feeding into the ATEM, you are still going to go over the video signal, not the network data signal. If you wanted to, though, you could pull in, you could get an RTSP receiver hardware and you can convert that RTSP signal into HDMI or SDI and then feed that into an ATEM. So if you wanted to use a traditional switching box um, somewhere else on the network, you can pull in those signals and convert them, the, the RTSP signals. The RTSP is very, very good quality and is certainly more than you need for a live stream or broadcast. It is not as good as the full native HDMI signal though. So you would not use that as a way to capture all of your source footage for doing a production. Uh, so it's more about the kind of a live stream um, broadcast type of environment where you use sure. the signals. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So then, okay, so we, we can see the trajectory from you know the BG box cameras that we both use. You said you have five of them in your studio. That's crazy. You need an intervention. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, so we can see that, you know, going from Michael Four Thirds to that camera makes obvious sense. And then you could, if you were a betting man, kind of in, read the tea leaves and say, okay, they're probably going to do a full frame version of it, which they did, which this one is. So what what's next then in your head? Not, I know you're, you're a Lumix ambassador, so you can't really reveal anything. But from Photo Joseph, looking at it as a user of these devices in a production and live streaming environment, content creation, all the stuff that you do, what's missing? Like, for, is, is, the, is the S1 or the, the BS1H, is that the holy grail? And there is no room for improvement? Or are there little things that you're like, it would be perfect if it just had a XLR jack on it? Like, what, what's missing? Well, the XLR comes via the XLR one. So yes, as yes. you have on your camera, you pop that on and there's your XLR. Um, you know, sure, there's always arguments to say, oh, it could do a little bit more, you know, and it's, it sh can it do 8K instead of 6K? Could it have XLR inputs on it? Could it have an LCD uh, panel on the camera? You know, sure, there's always room to add more to it, but I think a lot of this comes down to, as a design, de design decision, what to include and not to include on the physical, on the camera itself is size and weight trying mm -hmm. to keep that as small and light as possible so that it is available for drone operators. So that it is something you can put on a, on a drone and now you have a 6K full frame camera in the air. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And while I don't have a feature for feature comparison, that's something that we're working on, I am very excited to compare this to the offerings from camera manufacturers like RED because mm -hmm. there you're getting into much more expensive cameras that are box cinema cameras, full frame box cameras. Granted, Red has bigger sensors too, but Red does have full frame box cameras, um, cameras from the likes of Ari, where you're mostly working with Super 35s. You know, how do these compare uh, feature for feature to those much more expensive cinema camera offerings? And so that's something that we're we're working on. It's a it's a comparison that I want to be careful with making because, you know, obviously there's things that you do with those cameras that you don't with these, mm -hmm. but. For a lot of folks, for a lot of use cases, this could be a uh, the right camera to use and at a much lower price. And what were we talking about price-wise? The the price, generally speaking, the price differences between this camera and, like you mentioned, the ones from Red and Ari, et cetera. What's the big? What's the delta? In sure, I mean you're you're getting into ten plus thousand dollars easily with those those bigger cameras. So you know, if the Ari's are like what. 
$50,000 or something, you know, way, way, way more expensive cameras. Mm -hmm. um, the BS1H, like the S1H is much cheaper. It's a $3,500 camera. Now that's more expensive than BGH1, which is a $2,000 camera. But again, we're talking full frame here. This is a full frame box camera. The, um, the only other camera that's the kind of, that has some similar specs would be the, um, I don't know, what am I forgetting the name of it? Um, this is another company that makes this little box camera, Chinese company. Uh, I used to have a cheap Micro Four Thirds one and then it died, so I can't even grab it to look at it. Anyway, it's a very nice camera for sure. Um, that's that kind of feature for feature. That's when you'd compare it to. And I think that one starts at 4,000 and is lacking some of the features of this. Mm. And this has, this is Veracam, the Veracam look in it. So for cinematographers who are shooting Veracam, um, that's the look that you're getting out of the S1H and the BS1H. So, uh, Photo Joseph, you've you've produced a video which I kind of teased at the beginning of this, you know, and you you had a tongue in cheek what I teased you about last night, kind of a clickbaity title on purpose. Totally. <laughs> so, and it had the way you know the the acronym BS in there. So, what what are you covering in that video? Is it a soup to nuts kind of walkthrough of how the camera operates or first look? Yeah, exactly. What, what are you covering? Yeah, it's a, it goes through the physical ports, showing them all. Like I didn't show them on here, but I can certainly pick this up and, and give you, let me just open all the open all the doors on the back of this here. Come here, one more. That's the power, ah, come here, doors, tight. Oh, it's because I'm pulling on the, uh, the wrong part of it. There we go. Um, here we go, get these all open. Okay, there. There's the back of this camera. So you can see the SDI ports on there. Um, for rotated, so it actually focuses and stays. There we go. You yeah, see the SDI ports on there. You sh should be able to read them. Um, the SDI out, the time code in and out, and the gen lock, full-size HDMI, USB-C, the big hole in the middle is for a battery, the Ethernet, and the audio in and out, and then there's an AC power on one of these sides. There we go. AC power over there. Um, so I go through kind of a full exploration of all these ports, and then uh, the chart that you saw that I showed up here, I'd go into that in a lot more depth line by line. Uh, I show some sample footage, and then at the end, I show this rigged up in a cage if you were doing a kind of handheld run-and-gun type of shooting scenario with a all-manual vintage adapted lens to make it kind of a cine lens with a follow-focus system on it, the Ninja 5 monitor attached, a handle added to it, um, a battery for it, obviously, and uh, that whole kind of setup. So I show that at the end as well. Yeah, it's, a, it's a fun video. It really goes through the whole thing. I want to see that. I'll watch that. Thank you. Thanks for sending. Is that that's public now, right? You pu you published yep, that yesterday. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Cool. It's on it's on YouTube. Just search YouTube Photo Joseph BS1H or it's on my channel at photojoseph.com. If you just go photojoseph.com slash BS1H, it'll take you right to it. Really cool. Really cool. What are you looking forward to shooting with this camera once you can actually go someplace? You know, <laughs> I, God, I wish, man. I wish I could get on a plane right now. And I, I what I what I really want to go shoot is somewhere like Seoul or Singapore where I can get all those wonderful color neon lights and wet rainy streets like that look I just I'm right now I'm totally in love with that look and I really want to go but you know yeah we cannot right now yeah it's sad but you will you will you'll be out I there in no time at all no time at all um uh, thank you, Photo Joseph, for for doing this. You know, I'll, see that's the, that's the power of Twip. I just sent a text message yesterday, and we got content today. Look at that. And here so, we are. Here we are. Thank you for doing this at the last minute. I appreciate it. And yeah, I would encourage Absolutely. people. You know, not only for this for the BG series cameras that we're talking about today, and the the S the 
BS1H. I have to keep looking at these acronyms are just, you know, the BS1H that we're talking about today. But there's just a mountain. I'm trying not to use plethora, but there's a mountain of content, highly produced content on your site. And you're still you're doing your live streams regularly and all that stuff. So, yeah, absolutely subscribe to Photo Joseph on on YouTube and the website. What's where's what's the URL for your website? Just photojoseph.com. Everything's Photo Joseph. And on YouTube, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but I switched my live show to a whole different channel. So there's youtube.com slash photo Joseph is the main content and then youtube.com slash photo Joseph live is for the live channel. So I set that on a separate channel so that I don't have to worry about metrics and having low performing live shows drag down the rest of the content. So it's, it's two separate channels now. Very, very smart, of course. Of yeah, course. We'll see if that's just debatable if it's smart or not, but we'll see. Well, it's all, everything's an experiment for the most part, right? <laughs> so, Unfortunately, it really is, yeah. The law, the law of entropy and technology and ideas, right? So. Very cool, man. Well, thank you. Thanks for coming on, and uh, I appreciate you. Yeah. So, everyone, go watch that video. I'm going to watch it right after this because I'm I'm excited. Now I'm going to have to figure out if I need to replace this with more overkill for what I'm doing. <laughs> so, <laughs> thanks, I, I doubt that you will. Are you using the the Lumix uh, the tether the Lumix tether for multicam app to control the camera? No, I'm not. I'm brute forcing. Oh. I am not oh. using it. Oh. Oh, oh do tell. Do tell. Don't let me don't give me a cliffhanger. Well, Why just, should I be using it? Fire it up. I mean, all you gotta do is turn it on. Uh, are you do you have the camera connected to the computer over USB or are you feeding it into a switcher? The camera is connected via USB. Oh well just, then just download the app from Panasonic's website and just open it and the camera will appear there. That's it. You'll have literally won't have to do anything else. It's just there. Okay. Yeah, I think you might have to enter a password for the camera. It'll, it'll ask you to make a password for the camera the first time you connect to it. But then you'll see you have full control of the camera from the app. Okay. All right. I'd Thanks, show you sir. mine, but for some reason, my I've got a, um, mine is configured through a PC that I have in my rack, and I just screen share to it so that I can use any computer to access it. And for some reason, that PC is offline, figures, freaking Windows. Because I was going to say, thank you Windows. for saying that. I didn't have to say that. So. Yeah. <laughs> Windows. Okay. Right, now when we hang up, I got to go figure out what's wrong with that stupid PC. Yeah, well, you burned up my day, so now I got to go. I got to learn about that app, and I got to go. You know, there's your video is on the list of, along with a bunch of other stuff. All right, well, thanks, man. Um, and you have a you have a fantastic weekend. We'll talk soon. Thank you, sir. Take care. Right. Bye. Cheers. This is Twitter.